Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha, and with me is colleague, Krista. This week on the podcast, we have a mystery author. And I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet. You'll know right away as soon as we start the interview. A couple years ago, he started writing mystery novels with four main characters. He is now on book three in this particular series that he started. The names of the characters are Elizabeth, Joyce, Ron, and Ibrahim. I think you might have figured out who it is. If not, this was just one of the best interviews I've done in a long time. The author is a wonderful man, such a joy to talk to. And that is all I'm going to say because let's just jump into the interview. Well, listeners, today we have a treat. We have Richard Osman, the author of The Thursday Murder Club with us, and he is here to talk about his newest book, The Bullet That Missed. Welcome, Richard. We are so excited. We have been talking about this for weeks. <laughs> so, so listen, I, I can only be a disappointment now, surely. No, I'm sure it won't because last week ended up reading all three of the books. We get a copy before. So it's ready to go out on the opening day. So I started reading it and thought, nope, I need to go back and read the first two again, just so I am reoriented into the whole thing. So you've really made such a wonderful group of amazing characters. It's Jagisha and I have been debating whether Elizabeth and Connie are really like the same person, just on different <laughs> sides. We love them so much. And which one do we like better? We want to hear about um, how you came up with them and their... Yeah, it's, in, it's, it's interesting that, isn't it? I, th- I think when you write a crime book or a mystery book, there's uh, you, you make a pact with the reader, right? Which is, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you chaos at the beginning. Uh, and by the end, I'll have sorted that chaos out neatly for you. Mm-hmm. And I think, which is why we love crime fiction, I think. And especially now when our world is full of problems that we can't quite see a solution to. Uh, so with crime fiction, we're like, listen, the, however awful things are on page one, by page 350, it's all going to be okay. But that's the pact you make is stick with me and everything will be okay. But along the way, the beauty of crime fiction is we all make that contract, which means that along the way, we can sort of go anywhere. And mm-hmm. so long as we're entertaining you, then, you know, our, our, our job is done. And the, the lovely thing with Thursday Murder Club is, you know, listen, there are murders, there are murderers, but I get to write about these characters who I absolutely love. And I always think with crime fiction, you sort of come for the crime and you stay for the characters. And you've got four heroes all in their 70s, all of whom have flaws and good points. Uh, and as you say, you've got, you've got criminals as well. And I just, I try and make sure that Every character that ever turns up, whether they're from 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 the, from the good side or the dark side, is compelling. And there's something about them that we kind of think, like as you say, Connie, who's a terrible, she's a terrible human being, really. But I sort of love writing her, and <laughs> people love reading her. It's it's it, it's funny, isn't it? Everything I think is 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 character. Oh yeah. Well, She's a terrible human being, but is she? You know, I mean, she's um, a successful businesswoman, and <laughs> yeah, you know, she's yeah, helping. she runs her own business. I mean, right, it's, uh, right, it's, right. it's a narcotics business, but it, it's her own business. You know, exactly. she's, a, she's what we call a self-starter, right? For sure. You know, and she doesn't suffer fools gladly. Wonderful uh, leadership skills. She, she really does have <laughs> wonderful leadership skills. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean. That, that, that's the beauty of this Thursday Murder Club universe as well, is honestly, I try and keep it real, it's the truth. And 
I know there I know I know there are funny bits in it, and I know there it, it sort of sometimes feel like it's wrapped in a cozy wrapping paper. But I try and write real stories about real people. Is is the uh, is 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 the truth of it? Uh, and if the story is real, then the characters can be real within that story. Mm-hmm. And if the characters feel real, then the characters can make us laugh and make us cry. But if the story isn't real, the characters can't be real. And if the right. characters aren't real, then the emotions we feel when we're reading them can't be real either. So what I try and do right from the start is make every, just everything is something that can and would happen. And then I just let these characters loose on it. So cool. So speaking of writing, now that the this novel is your third novel, so do you, have you mm. are, are you approaching it differently when you're starting to write the stories and and some of the new characters that you're coming up with? It's a it's, it's a really good question. And and the first novel I did, the Thursday Murder Club, and that, that that that's a novel I wrote completely in secret. I just thought I just want to see if I can write a book. Uh, I didn't tell anyone when I was doing it because we've all had that experience of one of our friends saying, I'm writing a novel, would you like to read the first chapter? And you're like, oh, no, really? This is, oh, I mean, listen, I, I love you, but come on. Uh, so I didn't, didn't tell anyone I was doing it. Uh, so just wrote it. And I had a the brilliant process when I showed it to an agent and to uh, eventually the editor is the sort of editing down process. I think we lost about 20,000 words out, out of 110,000. I find it really interesting the sort of stuff you didn't need to be in there. And so the winnowing out of stuff that you didn't need to just leave the stuff you did need. And because I'm quite a goal-oriented human being, and because I learn quickly, on the second book and third book, I just thought, well, I just won't write those bits. You know, I'll right. just, I'll write the stuff that matters. And any time I started writing something where I thought, oh no, I know an ed- editor will say, this doesn't need to be here. I thought, well, great, I won't write it. Uh, and so in that way, it's been easier because I, I, I sort of, there's no wastage because I, I know what's going to be left in. But, you know, you do, you do think, I mean, every writer thinks they're a fraud, of course. And I, I love that people love the first book. That was great. But then you write the second book and then you go, ah, oh, do you know what? This, they're going to work out that I was a one-trick pony and I haven't got it. <laughs> and then, then they love the second book. And you think, mm-hmm. okay, that's good. And with the third book, then you think, I really thought, well, just before this came out, and it's been lovely because the reaction has been fabulous, but just before it came out, I thought, right, people are going to hate this, and they're not just going to hate this book, they're going to hate it so much that they're going to reappraise the other two books and go, oh, hold on, this is terrible. And actually, it makes me think the other two are terrible as well. So every time one comes out, I'm like, oh, this is it. They're they're, they're all going to turn on me. And so far, it hasn't happened. But uh, listen. Maybe it never will. Maybe it's always going to be okay. But okay. imagine writing a book and thinking people are going to love it. I think that that's a that's not a personality type you'd want to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If this ever comes to your mind, then you could just give us a call and we will yeah. reboost your ego because yeah. these books yeah. are so unbelievably fun. Don't ever. Oh, thank you. You know, everybody tries really hard, I think, when they are doing a series to make self-contained books. So if you pick mm. the third one up, you read it and it's, you know, it, you don't really have to have had read the other two. But most other authors really don't pull that off. You seem to have really pulled that off where by reading the third book, the person who picked that up really wants to read the other two. But they can pick that book up and get to know those characters. Is it? Are you going to reveal that secret to us? Because a lot of other people need to know that. <laughs> oh gosh, well I didn't realize, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. It's nice. I mean, I always in my head as as, as someone who's made TV all my life, 
I'm I'm very aware that I want regular viewers to get the stuff that they are entertained by. But I'm also aware that some people are watching the show for the very first time ever. And so I just occasionally have to sort of reiterate the rules or sort of, you know, show, show the things you're good at. I think that so long as you are, for your regular readers, you, you sort of make the occasional reference to something that happened in a previous book without giving anything away. Or you make a reference that would pass a new reader by, but readers of the previous books would go, oh, yeah, that was about yeah. you know, the person from the previous book. You know, so, so you have that fun. But yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's quite simple, really, which is, which is don't have anything in the book that you need to have previous knowledge of. So like in the first book, I spend a lot of time introducing my characters and, 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 and the setting. And of course, in the third book, I'm not doing that. Take it as, as given. But people don't need it. If your characters are well-rounded enough and, you, and, and your setting is well-rounded, people sort of grow into it anyway. But the temptation as a writer very early on is to, is to show everyone your world, is to describe everything and explain everything. And actually, the truth is you don't need to. And that's proved by the fact that you can write a third book where you're not doing any of those things and people can read it like it's the first book and still feel satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. I think the characters just carry the book so well so that you get a sense of their personalities and and, and even pick up all the things that are happening in their lives, even in the third book. Well, that, that's the thing. I try and, uh, I think, the, the you know, having a gang is great. So the, the, the gang of the Thursday Murder Club is four of them. They're all over 70. Um, and they're all very, very different, but they're all very different to each other. But they're all sort of, they're all sort of represented in my own head. They're all sort of quadrants of my brain, the four of them. And so if anything happens in the book, I know I can take from four different perspectives is the truth. You know, I know that whatever happens, would it be more entertaining if Ron is telling this? Would it be more entertaining if Ibrahim is or if Elizabeth is or if Joyce is? Uh, and when you've got that sort of selection of characters, I sort of in instinctively know there's, there's a scene where Ron goes for a massage in this new book uh, and yes. he is not best happy about it. He's persuaded to go for a couple's massage. And I was able to write it because I was persuaded my, by my partner to go for a couple's massage and I was not particularly happy about it. It's not, it's not my comfort zone. And funnily enough, when I was having that massage, I was thinking, right, okay, you've got to think about something while this is going on because you're being told to relax and that's not my natural state of being so think about something and the thing i thought about was i wonder how ron would react to this situation mm -hmm. and so while i was in the massage i wrote that entire scene in my head the whole scene was written because i thought i've got to think of something so what i think about is how uncomfortable ron would be here and when the characters are really come from truth inside yourself then readers i think instinctively get that and when people say how do you make your characters believable I think it's you just have to make them true, and the only way to make them true really is to is, is to delve inside and take a take, take a piece of yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I read that you actually studied American politics and uh, history mm -hmm. in university, but we are wondering, of course, if your next book might feature the death of the queen, because obviously that's a huge thing on your end of the pond. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting that, and I, I did study. Uh, American politics and I love America and American culture and the politics. I mean, I have to say that the sort of 200 years of American politics that I learned about even 30 years ago, every single norm and rule, and they've, they've all been broken in the last 10 years. It's a big, yes. It's, oh, okay. It's, <laughs> American politics is now an almost entirely different subject than it was even 20 years ago. You think, mm -hmm. okay. So I, I'm, I'm not sure how, how useful it is now. 
I think that I like to write about the world around us, right? I like to write about the shops and I like to write about traveling places. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that if I read a book from the 1950s or 1930s, I love to read about them going about their daily lives. So that I love. In terms of actual news stories, I didn't put COVID in my book. I know some people did. Mm -hmm. I sort of think, do you know what? That's not what this is. We all know it happened. You know, I don't need right. to see my character suffering. I don't think I would. The Queen is a million percent the sort of thing that Joyce would mention in passing, for sure. I mean, she definitely would. I don't think there would be, a, it'd be fascinating to see the four of them watching the Queen's funeral together and hearing, I think, Ron's opinion mm -hmm. uh, and Joyce's opinion might, 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 might be very, very different. So I try not to do those sort of big political statements but I love to write about the world around us. I love, I love, I love the specificity of shops and of time. Mm -hmm. And I think some people try and avoid being in a specific time and place because then they feel it's universal. And I sort of think the opposite is true. You know, if I read an American book from the 1920s, I want to really be in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. You know, I really want to know what they're doing at home. I want to know what they're reading. It's like mm -hmm. if I read a Brazilian book, just be as Brazilian as you possibly can be, please. You know, just tell me everything about being in Brazil. And that's what I try and do in Thursday Murder Club. They're very, very British, but, but they're, they're real British. You know, they're true to life. They're true to daily life British. And people can read them in 50 years' time and go, oh, that's what it was like in 2022, which, 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 which is a, a thought that delights me. So what made you decide to start writing novels? Because you have a few other jobs. You know, you're a TV host, <laughs> producer. And also as librarians, we vote that you give up all those other things and only write books. <laughs> well, that, that is pretty much what I am doing. I'm not producing anymore. I've given up lots of most, most of my presenting. Um, I, I was always a writer. So I like, wrote journalism in my teens. I wrote, I wrote TV stuff as well in my 20s. I sort of went into this other side hustle of being a TV producer and, and coming up with formats and stuff, which, which, which was, a, you know, a fun sort of 20 years. And then I really accidentally became a television presenter. I mean, that was entirely by fluke. But this is the thing I'm born to do is the truth. This is the thing that I love. Uh, and this is the thing that, you know, hopefully is going to see me through the next 20 or 30 years because, you know, I love, I love to do it. You know, I love to read uh, and I love to write and all that stuff from my previous career, all the TV stuff. I find it so useful because, uh, honestly, my job is to entertain. You know, mm -hmm. that's the thing. I want people to pick up that book and say, you know, book group, whatever it is, you're on a plane. I want you to, I want it to pass the time brilliantly at the end. Just go, you know what? I was thoroughly entertained by that book. You know, I really enjoyed it. It's well written. I like the characters. I didn't guess the ending. I'm going to go off and do something else now, but I'm just going to remember how that book made me feel, which is I just enjoyed it. And, that's the TV guy in me. That's the showman in me, which is which is show him a good time. And I think sometimes books don't always do that because some books, you know, have pretensions to be bigger than that. And I get it a hundred percent. And to you know, add something to the to the world. And the, the thing I want to add is I want to make your day better. I want you to just go. Oh, you know what? I loved that. I laughed. I cried. Uh, and I can't wait for the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're definitely for that. <laughs> yeah. We noticed when you were on Who Do You Think You Are, you learned about an ancestor that you had that solved mm. crime. So do you think somehow maybe this whole crime thing is in your DNA? Maybe it's a part of your genetics and that's how well, you I wonder. I'm fascinated. Crime? I'm fascinated by crime, but so are so many of us, aren't they? And, you know, I, I suspect we don't want to delve too deeply into why we're fascinated with it. 
But you know, I grew up. My 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 grandfather was a was a police officer, a cop, uh, as, as 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 you would said. And so that that's the sort of environment in which I grew up. And he would take you through the streets of Brighton, where actually bits of these books are, are set. It's on the south coast of England, and like any town that's by the sea, for whatever reason, it's very dodgy. You know, there's all sorts going on. There's something about a seaside town that you're like, oh, okay, you know, all sorts going on. And so, you know, my granddad would be able to drive down streets and tell me what was going on behind the doors, who was selling what to who. Uh, and I've always been fascinated in that sort of, the sort of shadow economy and the shadow world mm -hmm. that we're not really told about or talked about, which which, which I think so, so much of crime fiction is. And so, yeah, it was, it, it was definitely, it's definitely in the genes for sure. And I, I would have, uh, I would have, you know, love to be in the in the in the in the British police. I would have enjoyed that. But so I love writing about it, and just to, you know, I've always been fascinated with the stuff we don't know. There's stuff going on mm -hmm, in yes. your town, in your city. There's stuff going on at the moment in like a in like a road two streets over that you'll never hear about. You have no idea about. There's people. There's people driving around in your community, driving big cars, and if you ask them how they made their money, they'd never tell you. And I find that sort of thing absolutely fascinating. Yeah, true crime is a very popular section in libraries. And you see these very sweet people coming in yeah. and they get these just absolute horrible things that they read and they love them. Well, that's it. Well, that's it. When, when, when I've got these four characters, my four heroes are all in their 70s. That's it. One was a former spy. You know, they've, they've, they've seen everything. And if, if anyone's surprised, you, you, yeah, go into a library. Talk to a woman in her 80s, see what she's just taken out, right? And then and then tell me they're harmless. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is uh, an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. So one of the things I love about your book is how everyone is willing to help the Thursday Murder Club. So you have, like in mm -hmm. this book, Connie, the Viking, Ron's eight-year-old nephew, or grandson rather. Now, do you plan to write a future character that is immune to the club's charms? It's, that is such a good question because you're right. I have that, there's, I have a certain way of seeing the world, which is, which is if, if there is conflict, I like, I like it to be resolved fairly quickly. And um, that's how I quite like to represent the world. And you're, you're right. They can, so for example, in the first book, when they meet Donna and Chris, the two police officers, mm -hmm. in a more traditional book, that would be oppositional. And it would be oppositional throughout the whole book. It would be the police officers and the Thursday Murder Club are at each other's throats, and you know the police are incompetent, and they're you know sort of outwitted by these. And that's you know what I've read it before a million times, and I thought it's how much more entertaining mm -hmm. than that. Briefly, the police put up a bit of opposition, mm -hmm. and then they are so bulldozed by Elizabeth and by Joyce that they just go, do you know what? Okay will help. And yeah. then suddenly the more and more people in the gang and the Thursday Murder Club, you're right. They collect people like a snowball running down the hill. You know, all these waifs and strays. And even in the new book, there's you, you, there's people you know are going to come back and, and are helpful. Yeah, there's a, in, in the new one, I'm right, right, I've really thought about it a lot. That thing of someone who's absolutely immune to them. And funnily enough, in The Man Who Died Twice, there's a character called Martin Lomax, who's a bad guy who doesn't buy into it just like this doesn't come on guys this shit doesn't work with me and i think i need a, another character who does that a bit more who just said listen i get it i get that people think you're harmless i know you're not uh, right. and you've met your match but because yeah 
I love them collecting friends. You know, I love them collecting useful. Elizabeth, if you're a spy, you spend your life collecting useful people and having them on board. And that, that's what the Thursday Murder Club do. Yes, we love that. Shifting a little bit, because the other scene that had both of us, you know, in tears was with uh, Bogdan and Stephen, which, of course, mm. um, the I mean, you just hit the mark on the heart wrenching realities of aging and dementia and all that. And we were also wondering about the research that you did into that kind of thing. I mean, you've got spycraft in here, you've got dementia, you've got labor unions and all that stuff. But that scene in particular was such a heart wrenching scene and such a beautifully written scene and all that stuff so i mean obviously we're all aging so have you had personal experience do you do research on that yeah my my, my grandfather had, had, had dementia and he was a very physically fit man and so and so he spent a long time with it there was no you, you could see i remember my mum sort of talking about seeing him in in, in his hospital bed once and you, know, you could she could see how strongly his heart was beating. And this is a guy whose mind had gone a long time before, but the body wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, so I've always thought of, I, I thought about that a lot. I think, I think about him a lot. I can't write a book about people in their 70s and 80s and, and, and have the benefits of them being lovable and not write about dementia and not write about human frailty. You know, I just can't because it's, it, it's, it's a cheat. And in the very first book, you know, Elizabeth sort of talks about losing one's mind and, and, and she says look take anything take a leg take an arm take right. anything before before you take my mind that's the because that's who I am my consciousness is who I am Stephen who I, who I love as a as, as a character and what what I don't want to do is write it that everyone's wringing their hands and in tears the whole time mm-hmm. okay what I want to write is a very proud man who still is very funny uh, and who in his lucid moments sort of st- starts to understand what is happening to him and obviously his story has further to to go now but I want him to be I, I, in the same way that I remember my grandfather for the man who he was and he would not have wanted to be remembered for the last four years of course he wouldn't and but of course that's not how I remembered him so I, I, I want Stephen's spirit to be very 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 present and the things that he forgets and the, the errors that he makes are, they're there, but you never lose sight of the man. And we always, I try and show him through Elizabeth's eyes a lot because she's remembering exactly who the man is. And, you know, we, and right. in, in, in this new book, he, he, he's, I take him back into his past a bit more where actually he's much more at home and we see much more of who he is. Uh, and, you know, my grandfather in his, in, in his last years, he would recognize me or recognize my family. He would tell he would just go back and tell his police stories and his army stories. And he was so comfortable there. He was so at home and he was, and he was himself. And that's, uh, I hope in the, in, in, in the next book, certainly that's what I hope to show. Certainly that love affair between Stephen and Elizabeth is a beautiful one, but also just bringing Bogdan into it. I mean, that that's a love affair. And now we have, Chris and Donna's mom, Patrice, you know, it's in, in a very realistic way that you've shown how people can really care for each other in so many different ways and so many different relationships um, is also just a, a beautiful thing I wanted to compliment you on on the books. Thank you. There's a, there's, there, there's a lot of love in there. That's definitely, that's definitely true. 
So I know we have to wrap up here, but I have, I've read that, uh, I know you're working on a fourth book for the series, but I also mm-hmm. heard that you're working on a new series. Are you able to tell us anything about that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing the fourth Thursday Middle Club book now, and there, there, there will be other books in the future as well. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about to kill them off, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I felt like I would love, as a huge fan of crime fiction, we've talked about the many forms it can take. Um, I've, I love, I, I felt like I'd like to write a conventional detective. Mm-hmm. I felt like I would ri- like to write somebody who has an office and who someone can knock on their door and say, here's, here's the plot for your book just so I can explore anything. And I've got an idea. It's going to be a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law who team up. The father-in-law is a retired cop, not, he's, who's not old, he's not in his 70s. And the, and the right. daughter-in-law is a, is a close protection officer for high net worth individuals. And a, a certain event brings the two of them together uh, in this business. And essentially they, 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 they set up as private eyes together. But I, I thought it was a father-in-law, daughter-in-law is a funny a funny combination and the sort of father-in-law who doesn't ever really talk to his son because men won't talk to each other so sure. anything between the father and the son always gets passed through the daughter-in-law anyway and I just thought that's a fun domestic setup and mm-hmm. crime setup oh that sounds very interesting yeah I hope so we uh, tried to have a display of your books ready for this podcast when it comes out, but literally they're all checked out. And um, no. there's a possibility that uh, your new book is one of the highest number of copies that our system has right now. And there are oh. still so many holds. So keep up the good work. We're going to keep buying these books and we're going to keep well, listen, everyone to read from- them. My message to you would be, I mean, you guys keep up the good work because libraries are so important. I know in the UK, the the, the 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 you know the, the waiting list to get the book was huge so i bought i just bought a load and gave you just gave them to the libraries please 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 keep the libraries afloat keep going to the libraries get people reading and you know i love people buying my books that's great i get i was going to say as much joy i get a tiny bit more joy of people borrowing them and people going into their library and getting them and reading them and, and passing them back and letting someone else read them that to me you know I, that's an absolute joy so i'd like to, to thank the two of you as well Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been the best, most exciting interview that we've had. Thank you so much. When you come to the United States, will you come and visit us? Of course I will. Of course I will. Hopefully next year. Fingers crossed. Oh, yay. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, that would be so exciting. Oh, my gosh. Wherever you land, we'll be there. We're going to come and see you. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be in line with our books ready to sign. We'll be carrying the books and be like, all right, please sign. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye. Bye. That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Stephen J. Daniels. A good friend will help you move, but a true friend will help you move a body. Stay tuned next week for author Rachel Harrison as we talk about her new book, Such Sharp Teeth.